గుడ్ మార్నింగ్ ప్రీమర్ Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, speak to us, Lord, through your word. Speak to us that your name will be hallowed this morning. Speak that we may have hope and increasing confidence in you. speak so that idols and idolatry will be destroyed darkness will be dispelled and that your people may rejoice in you in christ jesus name we pray amen ultimate security of life that's a question that has plagued people for many many centuries On my recent trip to India I could notice that a lot of people are actually running after two things that gave them some sense of security in their life money and education India which is a land of million gods have these two even worshiped as gods themselves lakshmi is actually known as the god of wealth and saraswati is actually known as the god of knowledge with these two in abundance uh, you can get a sense of control of your life chart out a destiny and ultimately gain a sense of security but children also are actually constantly encouraged to pursue these things in their life and for those who have actually achieved a fair bit of this a third god seems to have emerged these days the god of health you see maybe the pandemic may have actually driven people to understand that education and money will not give all the security that they need so they are actually now seeking for good health and long life and maybe even immortality i wonder if this is so different for us here in dubai now we have the idolatry of money here we do have people who seek after knowledge gain and we also know that the health god has emerged so powerfully in the last few years the kind of campaigns that we see in the media is unprecedented anti aging creams hyperbaric treatments 70 is the new 50 and so on and so forth people are looking for some sense of security yet we see 55 million people around the world on an average die each year and so church let me raise this question to you this morning what is ultimate security of life for you 
and who gives that security and as you ponder that question may i request you to turn your bibles to psalm 16 verse 1 it reads preserve me o god for you for in you i take refuge it is pre pretty clear from that sentence alone that david is actually praying to god preserve me o god now it is difficult to know what exact circumstances that led david to lead such a prayer but it is fair to assume that there is some sense of danger that he is facing but yet at the same time he seems to have some confidence in the lord he says preserve me o god because i have come to take refuge in you david is looking to yahweh as his refuge and life keeper now we may ask what is the basis of such a confidence is it because david is a good man or that he has done some good deeds before god i doubt that because if you're familiar with the bible and as you read the book of samuel and look at the life of david we don't find a very virtuous man in David, do we? But you see, David is actually pleading on the basis of a covenant that God made with him. You see, in the Old Testament times, smaller kings made covenants with bigger kings to ward off threats from other nations that surround them. Such a covenant is called a suzerain vassal covenant it is actually a treaty in fact the hebrew word for refuge in our verse here is actually used in a secular sense in other old testament passages like judges chapter 9 or isaiah chapter 30 which portrays that the smaller king vassal is attaching himself to the greater king suzerain in order to enjoy his protection Therefore, what we see here is that the small king, therefore, is taking refuge on the basis that he had made with his suzerain. Here, David is under the protection of Yahweh, the greater king who made a covenant with David. Therefore, he can come to God and pray, preserve me, O God, because I have come to take refuge in you on the basis of the covenant that you made with me. But mind you, an earthly covenant with a sinful king could result in slavery. And we know that this happened in the life of Israel as a nation when they sought after the protection of foreign kings. But this relationship for David will not result in slavery. It is so precious and secure that the psalmist declares that he does not have any good or wealth apart from God. Look at verse 2. 
I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. You see, David is declaring to his covenant God that you are my God and you are all that good that comes to me. In this covenant relationship, David not only takes refuge, but also enjoys God's goodness that comes to him. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, let me urge you, we live in a world that always tells you to seek what is good for you when faced with difficulties. Our friends, colleagues, and family may counsel to seek refuge and goodness apart from God. The ad campaigns or marketing can suggest you to find security and fleeting pleasures in worldly wealth, education, deposits, or even healthy diets. They promise freedom and peace of mind and false sense of security, but in your tough situations, brothers and sisters, if you are tempted like that, declare like David and go to God and say, you are my Lord. I take refuge in the covenant promise that you made with me and I have no good apart from you. And after confessed his confidence and found goodness in Yahweh, David talks about his delight furthered in the company of God's people. Look at verse 3 and 4. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. For David, the saints in the land, the holy ones, were a comfort and a delight. Because God is his comfort and his refuge and his goodness, God's people who also seek likewise are a delight to God because of the shared commitment to love God. Here, love for God results in love for those who love God. I don't know about you, but it is not so common to find an eager beaver for the Lord these days. One that has got a passion and zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It is even rare to have mature, Bible-believing, gospel-centered followers gathered in a room like this in many places around the world. Often when our members leave for another country, they say to us, we don't have anything like Redeemer in our place. So it is natural that we delight in the company of God's people as we gather week after week here in this place. And yes, keep that habit. Gather as God's people. Pray that God will also have such communities around different places in the world and seek to build many more communities like that. But you see, for David, not only he loves God's people, but he also maintains a healthy hatred against those who worship idols. Their libations and offerings, 
he does not like he does not even want to take their names on his lips he knows their end he says that their sorrows will only multiply and their eternal damnation is for sure therefore saints we can learn from david in your heart also develop a healthy hatred for those who follow after other gods don't envy them don't look after their lifestyles don't imitate them those who worship other gods their sorrows will multiply says the word of god you see the language is almost the same when we even come to the new testament apostle paul in second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 to 16 says this do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has christ with belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple of the living god he goes on to quote the old testament scriptures where god says therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them says the lord touch no unclean thing then i will welcome you brothers and sisters let me ask you this morning what kind of friends do you have don't join unbelievers in their pagan worship or debauchery don't even find a spouse who is an unbeliever do you find yourself more often in the company of unbelievers for we know that the bible says blessed is that man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners so you may ask what do we have to do with them well we need to seek their salvation proclaim the gospel to them talk about your confidence in the lord talk about your ultimate security and the salvation that christ jesus offered to you seek therefore the company of god's people david chose here the example he says yahweh is my refuge yahweh is my goodness and yahweh's people are the ones in whom i delight and now he says yahweh is my portion and my cup look at verse 5 and 6 the lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed i have a beautiful inheritance you see david here is actually using a language that is familiar from the narratives in the book of joshua where the followed by the conquest the land was allotted to the 12 tribes of israel he says yahweh is the portion of his territory who upholds his lord and the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant pastures for him now one thing that i can say is that if you have to truly appreciate what david is saying but we also need to understand what is land inheritance 
meant to people in that society. You see, the land produces the crop. It me it's a means of livelihood for people. The animals grazed in that land and they lived in that land. Their blood and sweat they put to maintain makes them attached to their land as a dear thing. And it is the greatest gift that you can give to your offspring when you die. But at the same time, if you look carefully, David in fact is not referring to the land. The references to the boundaries and the allotted portions and the inheritance are just used metaphorically. And he says, Yahweh, God, is my portion. Now hold that thought for a second and turn with me to Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. What we find here is that God is telling Aaron and his sons, namely the Levites as a tribe, that they were not to have land as an inheritance. The Lord said, you will serve me in the temple and I will be your inheritance and portion. And the Lord provisioned their needs from the tithes that the other tribes of Israel brought to Yahweh. But wait a minute, is David from that tribe? No. We know that David is from the tribe of Judah and he was anointed to be the king of Israel, not a priest in the temple. So why is he talking like a priestly tribe? You see, David is deliberately associating himself with the priestly tribe as he has done before when he wore a linen ephod, a priestly attire, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Israel uh, brought to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we know that it is also not unique that we find the mixing of royal office with priestly office because we also read in Psalm 110 where there is a mention of a priestly king called Melchizedek. So what we really see here is that David is trying to shade the Israel's kingly office with priestly colors. And if you go back to the book of Genesis, we can find traces of this developing over time. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was to be a royal priest. He was to rule and subdue like a king and keep the evil out of the garden by mediating God's commandments as a priest. But we know the story, Adam failed. Later, Israel as a nation was ruling the land and to be a priestly nation and not to be like the pagans. We also know the story, Israel as a nation failed. 
Now we see King David is associating himself with the priestly office, but we also know King David's failures. And that leaves us with a thought to anticipate for a greater king who will come as a great high priest. But for now, we see David moving in that direction with a sense of anticipation. For David, God is his portion and his inheritance. And unlike any inheritance in this world, there was overflowing spiritual joy when he ran to God for all his needs, comfort, and satisfaction. Therefore, he can say, like what we read in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. He says, I will bless the Lord because he is my refuge. He is my goodness. His people are my company and he is my portion. Now we see David moving to the ultimate security in the Lord. Look at verse 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you and I read this section of the passage, one question that may come to our mind is whether David is actually talking about his confidence that God will watch over his earthly body and preserve him from death, or is he talking about his future resurrection? Now that answer can be hinged on the term Holy One in verse 10. Who is this Holy One? You see that word in Hebrew language is Hasid. That word occurs 30 odd times in the Bible and mostly in the book of Psalms, roughly translated as the faithful one, or when passively applied as the one to whom God is faithful and gracious. Theologian Dr. Walter Kaiser translates this as the one in whom God manifests his grace and favor, or simply put, God's favored one. Yahweh who is faithful is showing his divine favor to his favored one. It was that kind of the favor that was first announced to Abraham and then to Israel and then to the dynasty of David. And to think it in another sense, it is a similar term that is like the anointed one or the Messiah in the Old Testament. It is also similar to the my servant in the book of Isaiah, which also has a messianic overtone. So we can actually conclude that Yahweh's Hasid, the favored one, 
is like the anointed king, is like the my servant, and also gives us a messianic impression. But here, the point is, it is actually not invested in the person of David, but in the office and the mission of David. And we can find the testimony of this in many other passages in the Old Testament. So in our psalm, David is God's Hasid, the favored one, by his Davidic office, and he functions as a recipient and then a conveyor of God's promise to someone who is going to be the favored one. You see, David is the anointed king, but he will die. But God's anointed one is going to be eternal. You see, the my servant is David, but he will die. But Yahweh's my servant is going to be eternal. The man David was a favored one, but God's Hasid, the favored one, is going to be eternal. Therefore, we can read in verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one, or Hasid, see corruption. You see, David was not thinking of avoiding death when he said, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. But that he meant that God's favored one will not be abandoned in Sheol. We know that it is true because we can see that in the other Psalms where David says that he himself will go down to Sheol. Psalm 18, 30 or 86 will tell the same thing. But here we see that he is confident that God's favored one, God's Hasid, will not be abandoned in Sheol. And he also talks about being in God's presence forever. Look at verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may ask, where is the fullness of joy and pleasures? Well, it is in God's presence. For God's Hasid, who was not abandoned in Sheol, but brought into his presence. Now, it will be a miss for us if we fail to look into the Bible further and see what the New Testament has to say about this. So let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, where Apostle Peter is actually giving out a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 29 onwards. There is a whole section where Peter introduces the quotation with words David says concerning him. But look with me from verse 29 onwards. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about Patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Having quoted and David in this passage, Peter points to us that David died and he was buried and his tomb is with us to that day. Peter explains, therefore, that David, being prophetic in himself, was mindful of the promises that God made with him. A reference that we can look back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he was talking about a resurrection that was meant for Christ Jesus. The Messiah's resurrection is what Peter is actually talking about by quoting this psalm. And that passage is actually fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what Peter is saying that Yahweh's true Hasid, the favored one, is Jesus. Yahweh's anointed one is actually Jesus. And Yahweh's my servant is Jesus. And this Jesus, though he died, God raised him from the dead and made him sit at the right hand of God. And they are witnesses to his resurrection. And on the day of Pentecost, it is this Messiah that poured out the Spirit to the people who were gathered on the day of Pentecost. Now you may ask, is this something that Peter has made up? If you have that question, turn with me in the same book a few chapters later to Acts chapter 13, verse 34 to 38. Acts chapter 13, verse 34 to 38. And as for a fact that he, God, raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, which is our psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who is believed is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Do you know what this means for us today? First, to those who have not yet come to Christ in this room, friend, there is actually forgiveness of sins in this Jesus. If you repent of your sins and turn to him in faith, because Jesus Christ died for our sins in our place and took the punishment that we deserved and instead gave us his righteousness to you so that you may not perish in your sins but be saved by his death. 
we proclaim that truth regularly in this church week after week so that even today so that even today you have an opportunity to hear that word repent of your sins put your faith in Christ Jesus and be saved but there's more because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead he becomes the rightful and the only savior who not only for offers forgiveness of your sins but also gives you eternal security by promising resurrection to your mortal bodies yes all those who believe in Jesus Christ will also rise from the dead in their bodies and we find this in the passage that we earlier read in 1 Corinthians 15 and i want to read from 16 to 22 in that same passage 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16 to 22 reads thus for if dead are not raised not even christ has been raised and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in christ have perished if in christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by man came death by man has come also resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive what a promise for you what a promise and for you my brothers and sisters who are in christ jesus christ salvation is tied to this greatest hope that we will also be raised on that final day justified believers though they die in this world they will be raised bodily to eternal life never to die again but to be in his presence forever and to enjoy the sure blessings of david and the pleasures forevermore at god's right hand so let me ask you are you anxious in your life you see jesus says you cannot even add a single hour to your life by anxious uh, by worrying but instead he gives eternal life through his death and resurrection Are you fearful of a man who can kill your body and not your soul? Remember, they could not threaten Lazarus to whom Jesus gave life from out of the grave. I asked you in the beginning, what is ultimate security of life for you? Will riches help you? No. They will be eaten by moth. and will it will be corroded will pursuing education help you no the bible says to the words of solomon that he tried it and found it vanity is there anything that you find in this world that gives you a sense of security or even the ultimate security in your life 
I doubt so. You see, we can learn from David. Yahweh is his refuge. Yahweh is his goodness. He delights in the company of Yahweh's people. Yahweh is his portion and inheritance. And ultimately, Yahweh made him known the path of eternal life, which was fulfilled through Jesus, the new David. And it released him from the fear of death. My dear lukewarm, casual, church-going friend, let me ask you, if you have this kind of assurance in your life, what in this world are you putting your hopes on and spending your time and energy in? Why do you fail time, time and again to read your scriptures and learn from it? What are you so busy that you don't find time to join a community group and learn together with God's people in the presence of God's people to learn God's word together? Why don't you join an equipping class? Or for the sake of ministry, join a theological program? Where is your sense of devotion like the Mary of Bethany, who chose one thing and stayed at Jesus' feet. Why are you not engaged in the master's business and serve the church here? Why not take the risk of sharing the gospel with your unbelieving friend and not fear man when you have eternal life and security in Christ? And to my sincere fellow servants in the church, let me urge you, difficult times may come. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't drop your anger. We're almost home. Many saints have gone before us. They have suffered. But they reached home. We're almost home too. Your sincere service is a fragrance to the Lord. Therefore serve with whole heart and He will reward you. He will come again and give you the crown of life. And you will see Him face to face and in His presence you will have fullness of joy. Hymn writer Charles Wesley writes this, so we now where Christ hath led, following our exalted head, made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, ours the grave, ours the skies. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus is risen and you are also made like him as Yahweh's favored one and Yahweh's hasid. that you too will also rise one day and you have 
ultimate security in him he is your refuge he is all your goodness his people are your people and you will have inheritance in him and you will have ultimate security and he will not abandon your soul nor mine let's pray Loving Father, thank you for sending your son to die and forever destroy death and give us hope of resurrection and ultimate security of eternal life. We eagerly wait for you to come, O Lord. Come soon. Until that time, would you help us live with this hope and reality in our lives and not put our hopes in the things of this perishing world this we ask in Christ Jesus name amen <clears throat>